The title of my message is Knowing the Time, but not the Hour. Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. What time is it? Time to wake up. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Turn to Mark 13 and verse 32 down through verse 37. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You may be seated. The tension in the Middle East continues to build up. The United States has a quarter of a million men and military personnel, men and women, facing more than one-half million Iraqi soldiers. Saddam Hussein has threatened to use chemical warfare and to literally incinerate our troops, multinational forces from nations around the world almost a global effort, have combined to defend Saudi Arabia. Now there's another question whether or not they would ever combine to invade Iraq. But they've combined to defend Saudi Arabia. The armies of the world have assembled in a place that is not too far from the scene of the great battle of Armageddon. Palestinian terrorists and organizations have sought to uh, use different things to call attention away from the Gulf crisis and focus attention back on the Palestinian homeland and the issues involved there to shift it back to the plight of the Palestinians and the Israeli-occupied territories of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Well, a good excuse came for them on the Feast of Tabernacles a few days ago when a group of Jews known as the Gershon Solomon's Temple Mountain Faithful Ones. The Gershon Solomon Temple, Solomon's Temple Mountain Faithful Group. They tried to carry a cornerstone to the nearby vicinity, not to the Temple Mount as the newscasters have said, and as the terrorists said, but rather they attempted to carry it to the vicinity of the Temple Mount. And they do this every year at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish soldiers always turn them back 
as they did on this occasion. And they had to drag the cornerstone back to the pool of Siloam because they were, of course, the Jewish government, the Israeli government would not permit them to do such a thing knowing of the conflagration that would ensue as a result of that. And so then, this year though, the terrorist organization were prepared for this event, knowing that this group would once again attempt to bring that cornerstone. It's a cornerstone, it's not the cornerstone of the future temple, but a cornerstone. And as it was dragged to the vicinity, they were prepared. And they threw a hail of lethal stones from high on the Temple Mount down on the heads of worshipers at the Western Wailing Wall. The Jewish forces, not only Jewish forces, but Arabic police forces. There's a crack team of Jewish and Arab policemen who guard the Temple Mount. And both Jews and Arab policemen both fired rubber bullets at these terrorists to try to stop the hail of stones. This, of course, is not the story you get from the media. You have to find sources that were there, and it now is in print, and we're beginning to get the correct story that we would never get from the media. The hail of stones continued in spite of the rubber bullets. They fired tear gas, and for two solid hours, attempted to get these people to stop throwing the stones because they were doing great damage and injuring the worshipers at the Wailing Wall. Finally, after two hours, they fired real bullets and 21 terrorists died. 21 Arabic-Palestinian terrorists died. The United Nations went to work immediately condemning Israel, and unfortunately the United States joined in. We do not seek United Nations condemnation when we have such violence in our country. We want them to keep their nose out of our business. And we do have violence in America. We do have it in Miami. We do have it in, in San Francisco. We do have it in different cities on different occasions. But we don't want the United Nations to condemn us, nor would we want Israel to vote in condemnation against us were we to respond with force as they did. But now the question arises, how many of you have ever been on the Temple Mount? I know that some of you have. You've been there with my wife and I. You never saw any loose stones on the Temple Mount, did you? All that you saw was a pavement, very close, neatly fitted paving stones, too big for someone to heave over the side on the head of worshipers. The question is, where did those stones come from that they were heaving over the side? They were not picking them up off of the Temple Mount. They had been brought up by wheelbarrows. They'd been carried up in boxes and in baskets and in sacks. And they were fortified there with huge uh, amounts of stones to continue throwing stones for more than two hours before the live bullets began to smash into them. And so then, this was a carefully orchestrated attempt to call attention away from the Gulf crisis and focus attention back on the Palestinian issue. And this terrorist organization that orchestrated this succeeded in getting the, the media of the world to play this up and to condemn Israel, who unfortunately finds themselves in a position of defending both Jews and Arabs at the Temple Mount area. 
And in this occasion, the world con condemned Israel and the Palestinian cause was once again on the front page, which I have no problem with that. The problem is this, though. They're trying to link the Palestinian issue with the Iraqi issue. The withdrawal of Iraq from Kuwait to be linked and connected with the withdrawal of Israel, of Israel from the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And that is exactly what was proposed by many speakers at the United Nations. It's what was even proposed and mentioned by George Bush, sad to say, in one of his speeches. He didn't make a big issue of it, but he did bring up the topic. And so, friends, the su success of that effort brought about in the minds of people once again the fact that these are violent days and we're living in a day of crisis and we're living in a time near to the end. The Battle of Armageddon will be fought in the general territory, not where Iraq and Kuwait is, but it will be fought on the mountains of Israel in that valley there. But the armies of the world are now assembled, a multinational force from all over the world assembled. And what if, what if another incident takes place and Israel responds even more violently than they did and suddenly the United Nations decides to use the armies that they have in that particular part of the world to quell the violence and send them into Israel and begin to besiege Jerusalem, you'll have Armageddon on your hands. In the book of Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6, we see the sounding of the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And John saw an angel stand with one foot on the sea and one foot on the earth. And he sware by him that liveth forever and forever that there should be time no longer. More accurate rendering than the King James actually means there shall no longer be any delay or respite. My text tonight in Romans chapter 13 says, knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. The Knox translation of that says, make no mistake about it, about the age we live in. And another one, the Mondale says, you know the crises that we're in, understanding the times and the seasons. We must get about the Father's business. Go with me to the book of Luke, if you will, chapter 19, verses 41 through 47. The Bible tells us that Jesus came near to the city and he beheld the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. Verse 42 says, it, he, Jesus said, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now this verse has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in the year of 70 A.D., when Titus, the Roman general, invaded, and besieged the city of Jerusalem, and leveled the temple, and leveled and burned the city and destroyed many people. But Jesus said that he wept over the city 
In verse 41, and he said in verse 42, If thou hadst known the time, if thou had known the day, the th this day, the things which belong to thy peace. Verse 43, the days when the enemy shall cast a trench about thee. Verse 44, the days they'll lay thee even with the ground, not leave one stone upon another for one reason. Thou didst not know the day of thy visitation. Jerusalem did not repent when Jesus called upon Jerusalem to repent. The nations of the world and the United Nations, our own families, we ought to heed the fact that the Bible tells us that it is high time to awake out of sleep and cast off the works of darkness and be ready for the coming of the Lord. Jerusalem did not recognize the day of her visitation. And so the judgment came and it was leveled. The city was leveled and people died. Are we going to wait for the judgment of God because we refuse to heed the call to revival? I don't know why, but you know, you can have all kinds of events in, in the church world and you'll get a, a big crowd for certain things, certain types of entertainment and certain activities. You call a time of fasting and prayer and repentance and sackcloth and ashes and waiting before God for revival to seek God for the spiritual welfare of our nation, for the salvation of our young people, to, to deliver people from drugs and alcoholism, and you get just a few people at that kind of meeting. The Bible said, Thou knewest not the day of thy visitation. And Jesus wept over the city because he knew that in a few short years the Roman general would come. I believe there's tears in the eyes of Jesus right now as he looks upon America, as he looks upon Jacksonville, as he looks upon many professing Christians who will not understand and heed the day of visitation. We sang a moment ago, all over the world the Spirit is moving. And I believe that, we sing that, and we rejoice because of that, because we think of healings, we think of miracles, we think of great numbers of people coming to Christ. But friends, along with that, we think also of Ananias and Sapphira. We think of people perishing because they heed not the day of visitation. In the midst of revival, there's always some who do not recognize that day of visitation. And sometimes there's tragedy in the midst of triumph. So Jerusalem was destroyed. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 reminds us that blindness in part is happened to Israel. Blindness in part is happened to Israel until the times of the Gentiles be come in. They did not recognize it when their Messiah walked the streets of the city of Jerusalem and went into Galilee and throughout Judea. They did not recognize that this was the Messiah. They crucified him. And Jesus is walking the streets of our cities. He comes into our homes over the airways and Christian television programs and Christian radio programs and through books and through church services. And Christ is visiting America and visiting the world. And the world is blind. The world does not heed the call to repentance. The world does not recognize that this is the last effort of God to bring people in before that eventful moment of Armageddon. We need to be prepared for revival. Daniel prophesied a vision of 70 weeks in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Each one of those weeks representing seven years. Six to nine of those weeks have been fulfilled, at which time Messiah was cut off or crucified. One week of seven years left 
to be fulfilled in future prophecy. That's the week of years or seven-year tribulation period that we call the tribulation. When Antichrist and 666 will be around. It's called the 70th week of Daniel. And the evil prince that Daniel mentioned will make a covenant with the nation of Israel. A seven-year peace pact. He'll break that covenant in the middle of that week after three and one-half years. And he will cause overspreading abominations, Daniel said. He will make the temple desolate. Now the temple will be rebuilt. The vain attempt of this group to bring a cornerstone to the temple mount is futile at this point in time. Their plans in Israel, without a shadow of a doubt, to rebuild their temple. They know the site of the original temple, and it is not the Muslim shrine there to, to their religion. That is not the exact site of the temple. It's to the north and west a little bit. And it's been determined that beyond any shadow of a doubt. And they're prepared to rebuild their temple when the time comes. The Messiah will come, though, after the temple has been rebuilt and after the Antichrist has entered into that temple and desecrated it. And it is known as the abomination of desolation when he sets himself up in that rebuilt temple and proclaims to be God and demands to be God and demands to be worshipped as God. At that point in time, Armageddon will be formulated and a great battle will ensue when the nations of the world besiege the city of Jerusalem. But I want you to know it is not a vain thing to think about peace in the Middle East. The Bible tells us of these days when it will be horrible days. Gloominess, the Bible speaks of it. Darkness such as the world has never known. And this battle will be the worst the world has ever known. But Messiah is going to gather his people back into the land. During the tribulation, the Jews will be driven from their homeland. Antichrist will bring his armies and he'll set his capital up in Jerusalem. And many of the Jews will flee into the wilderness where for three and one half years they'll be protected by miraculous divine power. But at the end of that time, God will bring them back. And Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10 tells us, the ransomed of the Lord shall return to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And so while we see a dim future for the nation of Israel during those dark days, I'm here to tell you that it will not remain that way because the last chapter will be written when Antichrist loses his life on the battlefields of Armageddon. The false prophet too will lose his life and the devil will be cast into the bottomless pit and Christ will come back at the second advent. Now remember the rapture will have taken place prior to that tribulation. But he's going to bring those raptured saints back. And the angels and saints will come and be employed in that great battle. And then he'll set up his kingdom on this earth. And there'll be a thousand years of peace. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return to Zion with psalms. And everlasting joy upon their heads. Now go back with me to the book of Mark chapter 13. And verse 33. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. No man knows the day nor the hour of the coming of the Lord. The times and the seasons are revealed unto us. Many signs of the times, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, pestilence, earthquakes in divers places, men's hearts failing them for fear, 
for looking after the things which have come upon the face of the earth. Many, many different signs point to the end of the age. And so we know the signs of the times. We, we can recognize the times, but we do not know the day, nor we do not know the hour. And then Jesus gave a parable, and he said in verse 34, The Son of Man is as man, a man taking a far journey, commanded the porter to watch. In verse 35 he says, You know not when the master cometh, if it will be at midnight, or cock crowing, or morning. I'll say this, we don't know if Jesus is coming on Sunday night in the middle of a camp meeting service, or whether he'll come Wednesday night during a prayer meeting, or whether he'll come in the middle of our work day when we're on the job, or whether he'll come in the middle of the night while we're asleep, or whether he will come while we're attending some kind of social function. We do not know whether it be midnight, cock crowing, or morning. But he says in verse 36 that we're to watch, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And behold, I say unto all, watch. So I would say to you young people, have faith in the coming of the Lord. Have a divine expectancy. You know, you're not to say, well, I'm not going to school today. The Lord might come today. Well, I'm not going to let you cop out there. <laughs> and it'd be foolish for us to say, well, no need for us going to, to work today because the Lord might come. He said, occupy until I come. But we, knowing not the hour, are to be watchful at all times living in such a manner that if the Lord did come, we would not be left behind. The devil knows that he has a short time. Revelation 12 and 12 tells us that. Is he smarter than us? Are we going to allow the devil to be more in tune with the times than we are? The Bible clearly says the devil knows he has a short time. What about we spirit-filled Christians who are supposed to be a, a little one-up on the devil? in what is revealed by God, we certainly ought to know that we're living near the coming of the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, The day of Christ is at hand. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 6 says, The man of sin will be revealed in his time. There's a timing to it. Go with me to the book of Isaiah. And I preach from this prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 21. But I want to refer to it once again. The fall of Babylon is predicted in this chapter, and it's an ancient prophecy that has already been fulfilled, but still has a future application as well. In Isaiah 21 and verse 11, these words, The burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of Seir, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? The cry is to that watchman on the wall. What about it, watchman? What do you see? What about the night shadows? and darkness that is about us. Is there danger impending? Are we about to be invaded? Is the collapse of our kingdom and empire about to take place? Watchman, what of the night? In verse 6, when the fall of Babylon was anticipated, we're told that, go set a watchman. Let him declare what he seeth. In verse 7, he says, I see a couple of horsemen. Now these couple of horsemen in, a, in ancient history had to do with the Medes and the Persians. It had to do with Darius and Cyrus, the kings, and had to do with the burden of Duma is spoken of. The Edomites would rejoice because Babylon fell, but also 
Edom would be burdened because they rejoiced at the oppression of the Jews and Edom would suffer at the hands of the enemy. What of the night? The response comes. The morning cometh. And also the night. The morning would be the fact that Israel would be eventually delivered. The night would come because there would be weeping in the night because of death and destruction. During this tremendous invasion, there would be a time of sorrow. But as we have mentioned in our message this morning, after the weeping is past, joy comes in the morning. So the song says, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The morning cometh, but also the night, the night of Edom's judgment and the morning of Israel's release. This prophetic message was not set here in this Old Testament setting simply to tell us about the curse of a few perishable empires on the face of this earth. There has to be more than just a lesson in history. Beloved, there's more to it than to let us know what happened in antiquity. The lesson is this. The watchman is crying from the wall, from his tower, from his vantage point, crying to the people, the morning cometh, and also the night. Watch and pray and be ready. The scripture tells us many things about the coming of the Lord. The rapture is going to be the morning of an eternal day for the saints of God. The morning cometh when the dead shall be raised and resurrected and given glorified bodies. And the living saints will be translated and go to forever be with the Lord. The night cometh also, for the dark shadows of tribulation will fall across this earth. And the mark of the beast and 666 will be prevalent. And Antichrist will do his best to bring all mankind into subjugation to his kingdom and empire. In the midst of all of this, we understand that God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. God will never go out of business in spite of the Antichrist, in spite of 666, in spite of coming judgment. God is going to be calling out a people for himself. And in spite of the drugs and alcoholism and perversion and homosexuality and child abuse and sexual promiscuity of our day, it's a dark backdrop. But I want you to know the morning comes and I believe that we're living in one of the brightest times of church history for revival. I do believe the Spirit of God is moving over the land today and it's a time of revival. The morning cometh, but also the night. The dark night of backsliding, the dark night of apostasy, the dark night of compromise. In the church world of religion, there are some things that are embarrassing. There are some things that we're ashamed of, but there are some things that we're proud of. There are some things that we thank God for because God has not abandoned his people. It's still a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I'm glad to be a member of the Lord's body of believers. I'm glad to be on the Lord's side tonight. Friends, the morning cometh and also the night. Watchmen, what of the night? Knowing the time, it is high time to awake out of sleep and to cast off the evil works of darkness. Prepare ourselves because the bridegroom's coming and as the five wise virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, when the cry was made, they went out to meet him. The foolish virgins had to disappear into the darkness, searching for oil and trying to remedy their situation. It was a crisis for them. Friends, it's wonderful to have your lamps trimmed and burning, 
to be filled with God and in love with Christ and be ready to go when the Lord comes. I believe He's coming soon. I keep preaching about this, but one of these days it's going to be a reality. It's going to be fulfilled and the trumpet of the Lord will sound and the dead will be raised, the living will be translated and the Lord's going to call us up to be with Him. Are you ready? Praise God. Let's lift our hands in anticipation and praise Him tonight. Praise God's holy name. Blessed be the Lord.